We meet today in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 to verse 19. Considering the subject, Paul changing his purpose for the present. In our last study, we saw how Paul changed his bookkeeping system of the past, no longer trusting in the righteousness of the law, which was man performed, but now trusting the righteousness of Christ. He is no longer going to try to build up legal righteousness. He isn't going to see how religious and pious he can be or how much he can persecute the church like he did. The seven things that were to his credit became his debit, actually, and the things that he had despised became his credit, and that was Christ himself. Since Paul has changed his bookkeeping system of the past, he is now going to change his purpose for the present. Listen to what he is going to do. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Philippians 3 verse 10 and verse 11. Now, Paul says here he wants to know experientially the power of Christ's resurrection. He is not thinking only of the divine power that raised Jesus from the dead. No, he is actually thinking of the power of the resurrected Christ now operating in the believer's life. You see, Paul exhibits an effort and an energy here that is derived from the Holy Spirit. And this is far greater than any legal effort under the law. This man was willing to go all the way to Damascus to stamp out the followers of Christ. Under the grace-faith system, he will now go to the end of the earth to make the followers of Christ and to witness for him. You see, faith produces something. Let us be perfectly clear about this. Your works have nothing to do with your salvation. You are shut up to a cross for salvation. God has only one question for the lost sinner to answer. What will you do with Jesus who died for you? If you will accept him as your savior, you are saved by faith. And now that is the righteousness that comes only by faith. Even your life after salvation doesn't build up a righteousness that has anything to do with your salvation. Let this be clear. Salvation is an instant event that happens because of placing your faith in the work, finished work of Calvary. Christ died. That salvation will not be aided but by what you do. Your faith in Christ, however, is a motivation for you to live for God. That is the reason Paul went on to live as he did. He was saved not because of what he had done. He was saved because he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. But now that he has faith in Christ, that drove him to go and work for Christ, even to go to the ends of the world. 
I will not enter heaven because I share with you this program on the radio. I will not enter heaven because I'm a pastor or I preach the word of God. I will enter heaven. God has accepted me simply because I trust in his son, Jesus Christ. Paul says, being conformed to his death. This statement further elaborates the previous phrase. For a believer to share Christ's suffering involves such a complete identification with him that it can only be explained as death to the former life. Actually, Romans chapter 6 verse 4 to verse 11 talks of how we all died to sin in Christ Jesus and how we have been raised to life. As he was raised from the dead, we too were raised to, with him to life. Therefore, those who died with him and rose with him, according to Colossians 2 verse 20, 3 verse 1 to verse 3, these must exhibit this truth by a separation from their old life and a continual walking in the power that is supplied by Christ's resurrected life. So the tension ought to be kept. Salvation is faith alone plus nothing, nothing. Faith alone. But what has happened to us ought to produce a fruit by merely being related with Christ. We must produce fruit. You cannot say this is a mango tree unless it produces mangoes. You cannot say this is an orange tree unless it produces oranges. In the same way, you cannot have someone who has been saved by faith who will not do good works, who will not obey Christ's commands. For he says, if you are indeed my disciples, you do what I say. So the tension ought to be kept. Paul further had said, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now when Paul used the word if, he is not expressing a doubt about his participation in the rapture. No. Rather, he is affirming that he will have part in it with great joy. Paul did not expect to attain perfection in this life. Therefore, he wanted to have full participation in the coming rapture. Have you ever stopped to think what the coming of Christ really means, my friend? Most of us think, boy, it will get us out of this old sinful world. Paul says, it will get me into his presence. That is the glorious, joyful anticipation into the presence of Christ. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Philippians 3 verse 12. Actually, I thought there is a fitting commentary on this verse from the Expositor's Bible Commentary. It says it all. Let me quote this to you. And I hope you and I can continue to learn what this verse has to say. The statement says, Having stated that his conversion brought about a new assessment of his goals and gave him the overwhelming desire to know Christ ever more fully, 
Paul then explains how his present life is a pursuit in this new direction. But he does not want to be misunderstood. He is not claiming that his conversion has already brought him to his final goal. He has not already received all he longed for, nor has he been brought to that perfect completeness to which he has aspired. Perhaps there were perfectionists in Philippi who had resisted the Judaizers with their emphasis on works and ceremonies by going to the extreme of claiming to have acquired already the consummation of spiritual blessing. Paul understands clearly that he has a continuing responsibility to pursue the purposes Christ had chosen for him. Spiritual progress is ever the imperative Christians must follow. End of the quote. I tell you, this is just a fitting expression. We will need to keep on following. We need to keep on following, pursuing the purposes of Christ. And we can never claim to have already reached it. Now the next verse will give us the mundus operandi of the life of Paul the Apostle. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Philippians 3 verse 13. Using the metaphor of a footrace, Paul describes his Christian life as involving the continual forgetting of things which are behind and the relentless centering of his energies and interest on the course that is ahead of him. Forgetting did not mean obliterating the memory of the past, of course, you remember Paul has just recorded some of the things in verse 5 to verse 7. But he is talking of a conscious refusal to let them absorb his attention and impede his progress. Paul never allowed his Jewish heritage nor his previous Christian attainments to obstruct his running of the race. So no present attainment could lure him into thinking he has already possessed all Christ desired for him. Brethren, I wish that is the attitude we have. Watch Christians as they go to church. Watch them when they talk. Sometimes we even behave as if we already know it. We no longer want to learn. We no longer want to listen to good Bible teaching. We are self-sufficient as it were. Paul says, I have not yet attained it. In fact, I don't count myself to have had it all. <laughs> but we know today how the church has been blessed with the writings of Paul and the church is edified left, right and center. But he claims to not have already reached it. Now someone who go to school will go to some college and by human beings will be conferred with degrees and called doctor, so and so, will even dare to challenge Paul. How arrogant. Paul says, I have not yet reached it. His attitude is, 
I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Philippians 3 verse 14. Friends, we must remember that Paul had witnessed the Olympic Games at least. He had every opportunity to do so. There was a great amphitheater in Ephesus which seated 100,000 people and the Olympic Games were held there many times. Paul was living in Ephesus for three years and it is difficult for us to actually believe that he didn't see the games, especially since he used so many figures of speech that were taken from those athletic events. So he must have watched them. Now, continuing the metaphor, Paul likens his Christian life to pressing onward to the goal so as to win the prize. In applying the figure, the goal and the prize are virtually identical, though viewed perhaps from different aspects. Paul's goal was the complete knowledge of Christ, both in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his suffering. When the goal was reached, the prize would be fully his. The prize of the upward call of God in Christ, Jesus. You see, the prize is not some earthly reward, but it is to be caught up and be in the presence of Christ. We are going to be in his presence. We are going to be like him. These are the things that Paul says are out there in the future for him. Now, let's be clear on one thing. We don't run for salvation. Salvation is not the prize, no. Either we have Christ or we don't have him. We either trust him or we don't trust him. The only way we can have salvation is through faith in Christ Jesus. And salvation is a gift. A gift is different from a prize. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2 verse 8 and verse 9. Salvation is not one at a race. Salvation is a gift which is accepted. You see, now Paul, after receiving eternal life, he is out running for a prize. Christ became everything to him, and he is running a race that he might win Christ. In what way? Well, someday he is going to appear in his presence. His whole thought is when I come into his presence, I don't want to be ashamed. John said that it is possible to be ashamed at his appearing. First John 2 verse 28 tells us, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. You see, there are many Christians today talking about wishing Christ would come. Who? If they really knew what it would mean to them, they would probably like to postpone it for a while. If you think that you can live a careless Christian life and not have to answer for it, you are certainly wrong. One of these days, my friend, you will have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of the way you lived your life. 
I suggest that you get down on the race course today and start living for him. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Philippians 3, verse 15. A number of phrases here are said and they are important. As many as are mature. What does he mean by that? Well, that word that is translated mature in this verse has a different sense from that of verse 12 in which Paul used a verb in the perfect tense, M, perfected, to denote absolute spiritual maturity or sinless perfection. Here he uses the word to speak of relative spiritual maturity or relative perfection. The spiritual maturity spoken of is not a state of sinless perfection, but one of completeness, as the maturity of an adult compared with that of an infant. So Paul is describing those who as Christians are mature, as contrasted with babes in Christ or babies in Christ. You see, when Paul says mature, he means arriving where one should be in maturation. He is saying this, let us therefore as many as are complete in Christ, who are growing normally in Christ, let us be thus minded. In other words, have the same mind as Paul. Get out on the rest track or on the rest course with Paul and press on towards the same goal. Another phrase, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Maybe you have some other idea, Paul says, and maybe God does have something else for you to do. If you are willing to do it, he will show it to you. God is able to lead a willing believer. You may remember that the psalmist told us not to be like the horse and the mule that must have a bridle in his mouth in order to be led. If God must lead you around like that, it will hurt you. Why not let him lead you by his eye? That is the way he would like to do it. That is what Paul is talking about. God will reveal even this to you. God will reveal his will to you if you want to be led by him. Now, I hear Christians say, if only I knew the will of God. My friend, <laughs> it's a matter of being in touch with the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a matter of drawing close to him. It is a willingness to do his will when he shows it to you. There is no little formula for discovering the will of God, my friend. One cannot live a careless life and expect a vision or an angel or some green light to appear to show the way to go when you are in a crisis. Knowing the will of God comes through a day-by-day -day walk with him and a willingness to be led by him. This will keep you on the right route, my friend, through life, and it will be a great joy to your heart. And remember, the yardstick is the word of God. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Philippians 3 verse 16. 
No one, however, must wait for God to reveal the truth on all points before he begins to give himself to spiritual growth. Each believer should exercise fully the degree of maturity he already possesses. You see, there are some people who just sit and say, I have not yet grown, I have not yet known what the will of God is, therefore I will not work for God. The degree of maturity you have can still be the beginning point. So Paul is encouraging the Philippians believers to get out on the race track. He wants them to press on for the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Then he goes on to give himself as an example. Brethren, join in following my example and not those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Philippians 3 verse 17. Join in following my example could be rendered. Become fellow imitators of me. Fellow imitators is related to the English word mimics. You see, just as Paul mimics Christ, so they should mimic or imitate him. The word pattern comes from the Greek word which meant to strike an exact image upon a blank piece of metal. The word was used of making coinage. Now Paul's ministry consists of following Christ so closely that in making Paul a pattern for the Christian work, his converts would essentially be reproducing the image of their king, Jesus Christ, throughout the realm. Those who refuse to conform to the image of the suffering servant are only reproducing the best coinage of this world, which will be further devalued when Christ returns. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Philippians 3, verse 18 to 19. Now, this is a very severe condemnation, as you can find, of those who profess to be Christians. They claim to be Christian, yet they contradict their profession by their very lives. Their God is their belly. That's an awful thing. This means that they are led by their appetites. Some professing Christians today have an appetite for money, have an appetite for things. They will do almost anything for the money, for the almighty dollar, if you like. Others have such an appetite for sex that it becomes actually their God. Others covet, that is the cause of much of the strive and vain glory in this world. The basic cause of it is that they have their hearts and minds on earthly things. They live for self and self only, and they actually glory in this. They are proud of what they should be ashamed of. Paul is saying here that if you have trusted Christ, if you have had that kind of a revolution that happened to Paul on the Damascus road, if Christ is the all-absorbing thinking of your mind, 
and your time and your talent and your possessions, then this will tell in your life. James puts it like this. Thus also by faith itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please send an email to info at twrafrica.org. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. Let me repeat that email address for you. Info at twrafrica.org.